0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified in a ballroom edition. Uh, I'm your host Mark Liberty, and joining me today is Corey the Greatness, not greatness. <laughs> As I actually just hinted at, for those that aren't watching this on YouTube, uh, Corey and I are coming to you together in the same room for the first time in actually in a month or so. A we couple did this. Months, yeah. More common than it used to be. Um, on today's episode, like Corey just hinted at, we will be discussing a new fishing as a service, or what did you call it, FAS platform? F-H-A-S, FAS,
1: P-H-A-A-S, uh, FAS.
0: Before that though, we will give an update on a podcast episode we played out two months ago on a pair of Supreme Court cases that we were making their way through. And then we will close out with the ban hammer coming down on a very popular social media application. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, swing our way in.
1: And that. B word, I'm not going to say. Gonna say
0: we can bloop stuff. And that. A little bit of a derogatory word, I guess. Maybe we... Whatever. <laughs> so let's start this week with a update from... I guess two months ago now but in reality quite a long time ago so i think it was two years ago
1: yeah section 230 has been brewing forever
0: we uh we aired a a monologue episode by me on section 230 and how it protects the internet effectively or allows the internet to run as we know it today we did the update right after that because i remember not remembering some stuff because your first one was a monologue and then uh two months ago in march we gave an update Uh, on a pair of Supreme Court cases that were pending at the time that had the potential to really fundamentally change everything. So before we jump into that, I guess first, should probably refresh everyone on what Section 230
1: is. I always need it.
0: Uh, It's a shorthand for Section 230 of Title 47 of the United States Code. Duh. (laughs) Uh, Which effectively, it allows service providers, let's say like websites or content providers, content platforms on the internet. Uh, It allows them to do best effort moderation on their platforms without effectively having liability for anything that they leave up unmoderated. Really any website that's allowing user input
1: to show up on their site, it's basically saying that they don't have to worry legally about the content that their users necessarily post, but other than some basic
0: moderation. Because prior to Section 230, it was basically, you had two options. You could either not moderate anything at all, so users would upload stuff. You are purely a so non-publisher, just on a distributor of it, yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning you're not liable. Or if you moderated, you had to moderate everything. everything. And if you left up something that was potentially illegal, copyright infringement, you know, illegal content on the internet, you could be held liable because you'd be considered a publisher. So Section 230 of Title 47 basically says. You're allowed to do best effort moderation on your platform. You can do whatever you want. You can be like Twitter and, um, you know, ban the president of the United States, or you can be like Twitter and suddenly let everyone else back onto the platform and
1: <laughs> run into in the, the ground in charge.
0: <laughs> exactly. And you wouldn't be held liable for the stuff that stayed up on your, your platform. Now that doesn't mean you can just allow illegal content on there. Like if you receive a DMCA See, request, yeah, yeah. you do have to respond to that if you're aware of straight up illegal content you do have to take action on it Um, but in general like you're not going to be you know uh, dragged out to the courts if a user uploads like some isis recruitment video foreshadowing get into yeah um so uh, the main case that made its way to the supreme court there were actually two but the one that got the most attention uh was called gonzalez versus google Where they alleged that Google should be held liable for a terrorist attack in France that killed uh, Noemi Gonzalez, which is the daughter of the petitioner. Um, So Gonzalez pointed to the Google-owned YouTube, which I guess is technically Alphabet-owned, not really (laughs) Google, but anyways, (laughs) holding company for Google. Yeah. Um, So he pointed to YouTube uh, and said that they should be considered a publisher and not protected by Section Two Thirty because of their recommendation algorithms. So basically. He alleged that Google's recommendation algorithms could have um, put ISIS recruitment videos in front of people that weren't actively looking for them, and that should be considered publishing and maintaining the content, and thus Google and so YouTube should not be held. exactly
1: on. blaming them for the initial post, but blaming them for spreading the content through their automated algorithm.
0: Yeah, which we, we touched on this in that episode two months ago, about how it is kind of an interesting gray area. Like, the whole point of Section 230 is, Uh, As opposed to like a newspaper that is responsible for every single thing they post in the newspaper. And if you post something that's libelous, you can get dragged through the courts. If you post stuff that's just straight up illegal, you can face trouble. Internet websites and social media platforms, they are not publishers. They're just a platform where users can upload content. But he's saying that by YouTube having this algorithm that recommends content, that should be considered a form of publishing and not immune through Section 230 protections. Um, So this last Thursday, as the time you're listening to this, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, issued their rulings on both Gonzalez versus Google. And a related case, which was Twitter versus tem- Temna, Temnen, Temen, Temna, <laughs> Temnemna, Temna, is, temna. What, temna <laughs> is what I would have said to T
1: A A M N E H. Gotta be careful. We with apologize this, for for you taking as the as pronunciation. Speaking as a
0: fellow horrible last name to pronounce. Yes. Uh, but anyways, so the court ultimately concluded, drumroll please, <laughs> that uh, the families did not have did not effectively prove that the platform, so Twitter, Google, YouTube, whatever, uh, did not prove that they gave ISIS any special treatment or words of encouragement, nor was there any reason uh, to think that the defendants, uh, that the defendants, of so the platforms, intentionally selected or took any action at all with regards to ISIS, except perhaps in blocking some content when it was brought to their attention
1: and to be uh, to me that's kind of fair because their recommendation algorithm isn't one made per video necessarily it's like this generic algorithm right that it does recommend based on like if it sees things becoming popular in a certain way among Mm -hmm. a certain group it might Recommend If you, you happen group, to watch
0: a lot of extremist videos, yeah, then yeah, maybe you, you might, might get, get an ISIS recruiting But it w- it does
1: that <laughs> equally with every, you know, it, it's not picking and choosing what videos to recommend in what way. It's kind of an, an algorithm that works, whether it's a new K- K-pop band release or a horrible ISIS video.
0: Yeah. It's not like Twitter where Elon Musk controls what all of us see <laughs> individually <laughs> uploading yeah. and downvoting stuff. In the case of YouTube, it was, it is literally just a, you know, hands-off algorithm for the most part. Uh, so justice uh thomas actually had a quote in the uh, i think he's the one that wrote the uh, the ruling for this he said quote the plaintiffs have failed to allege the defendants intentionally provided any substantial aid uh to the reina attack so this was the paris attack uh, or otherwise consciously participated in the attack much less that the defendants uh, pervasively and systematically assisted isis as to render them liable for every ISIS attack. Basically saying they didn't really do anything, so there's no reason to say that they should be liable every time ISIS goes and kills a bunch of people, which is tragic, by the way, but no, it it is horrible fundamentally what, makes what sense. ISIS did. Be honest, I,
1: I, I'm, I'm personally, this isn't a view of WatchGuard, me personally, I don't really love our current Supreme Court, and I honestly don't think they're the best equipped to make technical internet decisions, because I don't think they understand it the way technical folks do, and yet it's hard for me to really go against this one. I mean... Well,
0: to their credit, that was exactly their point. When they were listening to arguments for this case, they actually explicitly said, we are a court of law, we are not the nine best experts on Mm -hmm. the internet, was basically what they said. So, it's... Hats off to them in this one specific scenario of recognizing the limits of their expertise. And it does seem like they specifically made these rulings in a way where it doesn't, like, confirm or remove any Section 230 protections. It just says that in this specific scenario, not applicable. And Honestly, they're, they're, they're,
1: they're probably, yeah, and I you'll, you'll, I'm, I might be uh, scooping you, but the, it sounds like they're saying, hey, Congress, you, you need to decide on this. You know, we're... We will make judgments on the existing law, but the judgment on this one is Google didn't do anything wrong. And if you want to change the way these tech sites have to moderate, it's, it's back in your court, Congress. Yeah,
0: it is. Basically, they kicked it back to Congress, which one could argue is a room full of 80 year old people. Yeah, yeah. I was so. going to say they're not much,
1: much better as far as tech experts, but at Correct. least they're supposed to have hearings where they bring in tech experts and listen. Well, wouldn't that be amazing if different people in Congress listened to tech experts instead of the or his parties yeah, just grilling them that
0: would be fantastic but, <laughs> but <laughs> they they do have a better chance of success at addressing whatever issues yeah, yeah. there may be with section 230 than seeing if the supreme court changed the law like so to that end though i like who should be liable for social media posts like this like obviously the creator should be if they're creating illegal content like a recruitment video for a terrorist organization but the platform itself like it still doesn't feel like even if they're algorithmically recommending it they should be liable for that content either that said i think my personal opinion that's kind of evolved over the past few months is that maybe there is a little gray area maybe it shouldn't be just a blanket you're immune but I think
1: it's a gray area because I think they already moderate and they mm-hmm. know they should. Like, should they be liable for a ISIS video of a something horrible like a beheading? I don't know if that's what this one was, but we know those have shown up on YouTube temporarily, and they take them down. Yep. I mean, gross, horrible stuff should be allowed to be taken down without making them liable for everything that some random gross person does youtube twitter google whether we love it i mean the scale of the posts they have even their moderation is never going to be perfect has to be automated we've all listened to how hard it is just for them to to moderate sexual versus non-sexual content so if we're going to allow a public forum where people are allowed to post I don't think we can put the liability entirely on them, but we also shouldn't make them liable for moderating stuff that's horrible. So, like you say, I think it's this horrible gray area. But if they tried to bring the video down, or I, I don't think they deserve to be sued because they had an algorithm that was pushing it during the time it was up. That algorithm applies to everything you put on those social media sites. I think
0: that would be my distinction, too. Like if they're if they become aware of something illegal on the, on the platform, they should have to act on it is I think where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Like they should be forced to take it, take down, it down, but it, they shouldn't necessarily be forced to know everything on the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And saying that though, that still feels like there's some parallels between that and what we're discussing with like AI right now, where maybe AI developers should have to prove that their models are safe and secure the the burden should be on them. I'm more worried about the the models. I mean, these algorithms, even though I don't
1: think the social media companies made them to be dangerous, they are starting to have dangerous ramifications as far as putting people into search bubbles, spreading content that will be hateful. I don't think it was the intention. I mean, the intention of these models are pretty obvious. Marketing, make the tech site get more views and more advertisement. But I I think you're right. I, I would want more effort put into how you can do these recommendation AI models without screwing society and making us all hate each other.
0: So now when it comes to the actual moderation, though, is this something we can throw more AI at it? Like, is this something where these generative <laughs> AI models might be able to help and moderate I, at scale? Like- so the answer is yes, but when without the fall fo- like,
1: like, generative AI probably wouldn't be able to catch, I'm sure it would make enough mistakes that people would make fun of it, but it will get better and better. I think the only way they have a chance at doing it, at, at the scale that YouTube gets videos, I mean, you and I could literally waste Hundreds of our lives watching everything on YouTube a day a single day Mm -hmm. So I I think they have to use AI. I think AI is getting better at natural language processing image and video interpretation but I I don't know if I trust it quite yet
0: Because we're at it like so obviously we've got models that are able to tell you what a picture is With pretty good accuracy like crap I don't even need to show my passport to get on an international flight. anymore. they just know who I am which is that, by the way, everyone kind of that's worried <laughs> about giving away your
1: biometrics the government already, already has the, it, yeah. and so do the airlines. That passport, that biometric passport means that you just have to take a photo getting on a plane now.
0: Yep. but so my point there is we're at a point where like a static image is pretty easy for a, an AI machine learning model to handle. Are we at a point where like a video, video? if it's able to interpret like the content of the I don't know. Video? I would
1: argue even the AI image. I, I agree with you that... Uh, without adversarial machine learning, people recognizing nudity or AI model could do it. But I feel like it's still to the point where adversarial machine learning could make a nude image that has a little bit of extra digital content in it that would mess it up. So I don't know if it's, it might be good enough to catch normal images good enough, but I'm not sure if it, it would work against know, the Maybe actor. like, maybe but Meta thing.
0: is way ahead of us and they're already using this on like Facebook mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Could I, be,
1: could be. But I'm sure they, I mean, if you can do it on a single image,
0: you can do it on video. Yep, that's fair. So anyways, Section 230, as it stands right now, is still fully intact and unharmed by either of these two Supreme Court cases. Um, There's your update that we promised two months ago. Yeah. Just took quite a bit longer than we were anticipating from the courts. And the update
1: was the Supreme Court said, we don't want to deal with this. Go back to Congress. Yep, exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, So moving on. Uh, way back last May, so like a year ago now, uh, we discussed what was then a new Adversary in the Middle toolkit the middle. Uh, called Evil Proxy. Yeah. Uh, so if you remember... You have a
1: great demo of it, by the way. I think we should make a video of that so folks can see. But if you ever see Mark speak in person, he has a good demo showing how you can use Evil Proxy to fish folks.
0: Yep. If you're not familiar with it, uh, it's Adversary in the Middle. It's basically a sophisticated, for lack of a better word, type of phishing attack where instead of just stealing a username and password from a fake login form like Office 365, it's able to proxy your victim connection to the actual legitimate Microsoft 365, pass off that username and password, handle multi-factor authentication, and ultimately steal a authenticated session cookie uh, out of that successful authentication. And this used to be a relatively sophisticated style of attack. You had to know how to set up your own infrastructure. You had to obviously know how to make your own toolkit for this, register domains, set up certificates, all of that. So last May, though, it became commoditized, where there was a user on Breached, a forum that has since been seized by the FBI, uh, that popped up selling access for 100 bucks to 300 bucks or so, depending on whether you want 10 days or 30 days access. Uh, what type of application you wanted to target. Your options were like Apple, LinkedIn, GitHub, Microsoft, all the big ones. And basically you give them a relatively small fee and they give you a set of scripts that sets up everything. So you no longer need the development expertise. All you need to do is be able to set up a your own like Linux server somewhere on a virtual cloud, register a domain name of whatever you want to, mimicking whatever you want to target, and then fire off a bunch of phishing messages and it really lowered the barrier for this style of attack to yeah. even relatively low-skilled attackers. Ie, Mark. Yeah, Exactly, like you said, <laughs> great demo. That's <laughs> so easy to do. I just paid a cyber criminal $100 no, no, for it. He actually
1: set up the <laughs> Nginx himself and did it. Oh, actually, no, you, what was the tool you used for that? Uh, Evil Nginx. Cal- yeah, yeah, Evil yeah. Nginx.
0: It's a GitHub library that yeah. is free. You don't even need to pay $100 for it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Uh, Just a few weeks ago, researchers at Talos uh, published their findings on what was a previously undiscovered fishing-as-a-service platform uh, that had been in operation since at least... FAS. Yet another acronym. FAS, yes. Great. Another one. (laughs) Fishing-as-a-service. Anyways, how Uh, long has it been around? Since at least the mid-2022 or so. Uh, So this offering, which was called Greatness, whatever, a little... Come on, (laughs) Lower the Sorry, ego. If you're of it. going to sell something,
1: you might as well spin it.
0: Uh, it focuses entirely on Microsoft 365. So it Smart. differs there from the the evil proxy we saw that you could, could target a whole bunch a lot of, platforms. of different SaaS platforms. This yeah, one's yeah. just Microsoft 365. But on let's be honest, that's
1: the one. If you can get that credential, you're probably pretty golden.
0: Exactly. In terms of like going after an organi- a business, yeah. that's probably the one you want to go after. And
1: any other thing that user ends up connecting to, you can just use the password reset mechanism once you have their Office 365 yep. account.
0: So uh, this one, it's again, uh, commoditized. So they would sell access to it to affiliates. Uh, so far, Talos found that those affiliates primarily targeted the United States, UK, Australia, South Africa, and Canada, with over half of all detections coming from the United States. In terms of verticals, it was primarily targeting manufacturing, but then followed up by healthcare, technology and real estate. So this toolkit's a little bit different than uh, what we saw with Evil Proxy. So it actually, Evil Proxy was entirely like link-based. You would send out a link to the platform hosting Evil Proxy. Uh, Greatness, you can do the link or you can actually have it generate a HTML file attachment that yep. you send in a phishing message. By the way, which is kind of weird. Like, I
1: I think you'd be more likely to get users to click on a link, even, you know, obviously the link's not exactly right, so they'd have to miss how the domain was wrong. But it's, I never open HTML files from email, and yet obviously... You are also
0: CSO of a that, cybersecurity company.
1: This It <laughs> seems to be work. I mean, besides that we see a lot of shortcut links, a lot of HTA files, which are really, in the end of the day, HTML-type file. that... Not exactly, but an executable one. But it just seems weird to me that HTML file attachments work.
0: I was uh, actually thinking about this, and I think the reason for using a a file attachment is, generally, email messages that have a file attachment stand out from other messages. Like I get five million emails a day that are just. You, you know, might just kill them for solicitation, but, but if one there's one, has one with an, an attachment, attachment, it like in Gmail as an example, it gets floated to the top of the inbox. The and other like obvious artwork.
1: reason too is I think in a HTML by itself is pretty benign. We'll get into there's something going on in that HTML file, and if yeah. you're trying to get past, evade certain security. Uh, You know, maybe this additional stuff will help get past some checks.
0: Yeah, so if you pop open that HTML file, it's got some obfuscated JavaScript in there uh, that connects to the attacker's server, so they've licensed access to this through an API, actually. Um, and it's got a blurred out image of a Excel spreadsheet with a little spinning logo in it. So it Pretending looks like it's- like
1: it's an online
0: connection and it's about to show up. Exactly. Then it redirects to this fake Microsoft 365 login page that's even pre-filled with the victim's email address and the logo of the targeted company just adds more credibility. That logo part kind
1: of neat. If you, if you check out Talos or any of the articles on that, you know, it's not just the normal O365 login, which we're all used to, but seeing your own company's logo as part of that, o 365 login
0: gives it just a bit of credibility Um, and then it even will of course forward in on the credentials you enter uh, forwards on multi-factor authentication requests and ultimately just like evil proxy uh, collects that session cookie once the authentication completes and then delivers it to the affiliate either over a telegram channel they set up or just to an email inbox um, so I don't use Telegram anymore, but man, Telegram, I feel
1: like there's a lot of nasty stuff going there.
0: Uh, there absolutely is. It's the platform of choice for a lot of like threat actor operators, ransomware teams, things like, like that gross these pornography days.
1: Pornography
0: people. Yep. So the kit itself, so it comes with three components. It's got the phishing kit, which has like an admin panel where you can log in, presumably even get tech support if you have any issues <laughs> along the way. Uh, it's got the service API, and then a Telegram bot or email address that it sends these sessions to. Uh, the admin panel lets you even view metrics to see how well <laughs> your campaign is going. So impressions and actual lead pitches, yeah. Um lets you build that malicious attachment through that panel and then send it off to victims. And then again, those payloads—they include an API token to connect into. I wonder the if they are using platform. those
1: like uh, solicitor marketing tricks that we get from salespeople. I noticed you didn't respond to my last email about so and so, and I really wanted to set up a meeting with you. Will you please open this HTML file the second time?
0: I noticed Do they you didn't like nag you into in a <laughs> list of like five replies from them over and over and over every three days. Yes, it gets really old, and then they start calling you on your cell phone, and it gets yes. even more annoying. No, I'm not bitter. Please, I I. I want to buy your service. Please, I will reach out to you. threat
1: actors, don't do that because those type of solicitors go on my ignore list. So, don't be that irritating if you want us to click your
0: badness. But either way, like back on track. This is yet another example of a entirely commoditized platform for a relatively sophisticated style of attack. Yeah. And like the risks of that, like lowering the barrier of entry for threat actors, there means that you know they don't just have to go target. Coca-Cola they can go target small Anybody. mom and pop shops now because it's cheap and easy to do.
1: Yeah. And who knows a small mom and pop shop might have connections to bigger ones.
0: And then like the other thing so HTML files pretending to be documents. Like I feel like we talked on a recent podcast about how with LNK files yeah, I,
1: I think in the same, uh, I, I give a presentation after you sometimes where it's very common to have a LNK file .PDF, like the whole yep. double extension. It's like so old to us, and yet it still sometimes works. So you can, you can tell a file what icon to use for it so it's pretty trivial to to make what is actually a shortcut file look like something else and then if you have double extension and of course windows by default doesn't show extensions mm-hmm. so it will just hide the pdf and errors will hide the link and show you the pdf and in this case it would hide the the HTML and show you the doc. It's a basic trick, and yet obviously it must still work. But
0: at the end of the day, like any email security service worth its salt, will do it based off of like the magic yeah, bytes yeah, in the file byte. and not the extension. And so, I so we talked last time about how there's really no reason to email a shortcut to anyone, and so Psst. you are. Extremely safe, almost the same
1: with HTML. I guess HTML occasionally I could find a a specialized role and excuse to send that one, like a shortcut, almost never. But it's the same with HTML. Like, how many times do you really expect one? That said, thinking off the cuff.
0: Like, emails are actually HTML formatted. I wonder what the complexity gets into. So we
1: recently tried to block HTML, and there were sometimes client issues where maybe they didn't describe the header, right? So the client wasn't able to display a a, a web-based email and rather attached attached, the Ah. html maybe it was forced text or something like that so there are cases where email systems for whatever reason won't show it right and instead will give you an attachment So, yeah, that that could be it. Maybe that's why it's an attachment. But the thing I I mean, we know this. We've said it over and over. But just the the MFA bypass, that's something MFA finally is being adopted. Hey, if you haven't adopted it for all your employees, you know, Mark and I keep telling you, you really ought to. It's a huge benefit. One of the biggest ROIs and security defense you can have. But it's being attacked now. I mean, MFA, people know attackers know we have it they're trying to get around it so even though we saw this with even evil proxy just the fact that these you know adversary in the middle kits can actually grab that session token
0: uh, and to put it simply like multi-factor authentication will protect you from your credentials getting stolen but it does not protect you against social engineering yeah exactly so. so
1: don't don't get don't be man in the middle because if they get that session token it's game over for all of your authentication
0: and with platforms like this like they'll even now as an email attachment they won't have encryption but it also won't have failed encryption and so you won't see a lock but you also won't see like the red lock yeah. but with the things like a evil proxy even even supported yeah. full encryption, like certificates generated Let's by Let's Encrypt. <laughs> so really, if you are not paying close attention to that URL bar and seeing the actual domain you're going to, you could potentially miss one of these. So this is where... You know, teaching your users to be skeptical of just all links and attachments, period. I don't click on it. I mean, yeah. if I can avoid
1: it, even if it is like a Black Friday and I want to do a sale, if I see it, I will just go to the Best Buy site manually. And, yeah, it's a little extra work finding it, but you can find whatever deal they emailed you without the direct yeah. link. So. Just avoid it if you can, and manually type in sites and find whatever deal or thing they're trying to get you to go to.
0: Yeah, and there are still technical controls like DNS firewallings, like yeah. DNS watch like ours that can catch that malicious domain if and redirect you someone does click
1: it, it's, that, that's like the last ditch effort, where it's a great product, we love it, but you'd rather them not click. Correct. But if they do click, that could save your bacon. Yeah. And everyone wants to keep their bacon, that's some good stuff.
0: So I wonder what's gonna happen, what's the next evolution of this social engineering? Probably some form of AI fueled, like (laughs) we've already seen one example of a video call social engineering attack, so maybe that's the future, I don't know. I wish Prakash would stop asking me to buy him gift cards though, because that's getting pretty old. You
1: make deepfakes now. The FBI (laughs) has that one campaign where the email was like, or no, it was a text message trying Mm -hmm. to get you on a fake Teams-like call. And, of course, his camera didn't work, but you could hear his voice, which yep. happened to be assisted by deep fake audio. It's
0: becoming a brave new world. Scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on to other scary things. Uh, so for the last two years, there's been this kind of Montana increasing. Is scary? I'm yes, kidding. Montana scary? i Montana is beautiful. Uh, but they are doing some interesting things. Uh, so for the last couple of years, there's been this increasing rhetoric in the U.S. and actually globally now as well, too, about the social media app TikTok and the potential security, privacy, geopolitical concerns that this app poses. Like there are what, 1.8 billion TikTok users worldwide? 150 million in the United States, basically every... I got rid of it, but Mark, I got sucked in. My older daughter
1: loves it, and there's creative, funny things going on. There's really cool, smart people doing fun things. There's a lot of stupid crap on TikTok, too. But yeah, it's a social media app. It's, yep.
0: it's fun. But the concern is that it's not necessarily the app, but who controls and or has access to all of the Can data I do a little network? soapbox? Please, The please. app
1: is no more risky than Facebook and every other app. It, it's been proven by two sets of researchers. Does it now, no more risky than Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram. That doesn't mean not risky, by the way, <laughs> because Facebook gathers your geolocation data. Facebook sees every freaking URL you touch through it. TikTok gathers all that same information, But it doesn't have a hidden back. There's researchers that have literally looked into reverse engineered the mobile app. It's gathering a lot of stuff about you, but really the same stuff that all the social networks do. So really, the only risk here is the fact that the owner of this app lives in an authoritarian country where the government can come in without subpoenas, without the due process that you might have in democratic countries, and take information. Right, so that's a concern. I don't think we should be concerned, well I do think we should be concerned that all social media apps gather this information, but I already know you and the rest of the world doesn't care because you're all giving them your information, so let's say all social media apps should be you know, treated equally. If you're willing to give up your information to use them, that's cool, but I think the only question here is the ownership of the company being in China, in my opinion.
0: I th- that is the major issue with it, to yeah. the point where like, the U.S. federal government has already banned it on federal-issued devices for the concerns that, yes, there is no backdoor in it right now, but this there could app be. that is theoretically owned effectively, like all private companies in China are owned by the government effectively. Yeah. And does it, does it need a backdoor? It doesn't
1: even need a backdoor because, I mean, the, the danger of this could be the danger of Facebook. Let's play it out. You have a journalist that's speaking out against your government, and you want to track them the data that TikTok gathers could pay attention to where that user is, and many times, if they log into the TikTok app. Now, you could do the same thing with Facebook's data and track the journalist too. The only difference is to get that information in the US, the government would have to show that the journalist is a criminal, would have to take it through a federal court system, and would have to send a subpoena to Facebook, and it would have to go out this legal due process. Or just talk to the NSA. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) But in China, they just go to ByteDance and say, give me this, or... yeah, probably a pretty bad or <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> so anyways like that's kind of where we've been at yeah, like yeah. there's been some countries India has basically banned the app internally, but they've got even stronger kind of head with China lately uh, well last week the state of Montana ban the app in its entirety. Like, <laughs> kind of. Uh, so it Good doesn't, luck with that Montana. It doesn't ban using the app, it doesn't ban using the website, it doesn't ban like the actual access, APIs, all that. It just prevents it doesn't you, ban you, the user, from trying or even finding you. All it does is
1: ban downloading Apple and the Google app. from offering it on their app store in Montana.
0: Exactly. Like previous installations will still work. This technically doesn't go in effect until January of next year, but Assuming it survives the probably numerous legal challenges. If you watch any YouTube video
1: and you know what a VPN is and you know how to pick a state that's not Montana, it doesn't even, even when Apple and Google do have to remove this, if it survives, by the way, they have like a year to do this, right? I, I don't know if this will survive legal. It's, cases, yeah. So, but assuming they do, I mean, a VPN, pick California for a day, and there you go, you got your TikTok back.
0: This is though the first state in our uh, in our union that has banned the application for non-government users. Um, I'm
1: curious, is this the first state to ban a mobile? Like, have we ever? I I don't know. Have we ever banned a mobile
0: application from being used? I can't remember off the top of my head any right, specific just, highly it, targeted it could thing be like the this. First. <laughs> this isn't the only app that was banned though. So Montana's governor also signed a separate bill banning the use of any social media application, quote, tied to foreign adversaries, which includes uh, two other ByteDance-owned applications, as well as Telegram. Which we just talked about. Yeah. uh, Which was... Hmm,
1: Where would you put an app that has a lot of perverse and criminal activities (laughs) and you don't
0: want law enforcement
1: to get in your way? Exactly.
0: Um, So, (laughs) Did you say? (laughs) Russia! Exactly. Telegram lives in Russia. Uh, so actually, it was technically founded the in Russia, but now it is Russia. based out of United Arab Emirates is where it's headquartered uh, currently. But you could argue we're maybe not. I mean, I guess we are technically on good terms with them. But I feel like sometimes we shouldn't be. <laughs> Anyways, this is not a politics show. Well, it kind of is a politics show sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like this, they're banning it because of a few issues. Like, there have actually been legitimate concerns with some data privacy with TikTok over the past few years. Now, I would still argue
1: you'd probably find that for a lot of social media, but there's one in particular Facebook was was,
0: sorry, Meta was literally just fined $1.6 billion today as we're recording this by the EU for data privacy violations. (laughs) Um, So yes, they are not the only ones, Uh, but there's so that we talked about the concerns about data privacy. The other one is a, what I actually feel like is a somewhat valid concern. It's that the algorithm is black box. So right now, and it's uh, extremely effective. That's why TikTok is so popular because you can literally sit there and swipe and depending on how many milliseconds you watch the video, how quickly you swipe, they'll start learning the algorithm and feeding you stuff that you are more likely to watch. It's extremely effective.
1: But I just alluded, it may not be true. I alluded that Google and YouTube, the algorithms pretty much the same for everything and everyone other than the habits that you show it that are uniquely yours, they don't change what they show one Google year or, or how it works. The but
0: concern is though that TikTok may be different. Because ByteDance is based in China and thus under effectively the control of the Chinese government, if there were some geopolitical situation or something and China wanted to influence basically one fifth of the world's population, they've got a pretty good avenue to do And my understanding
1: that. is like the, there has been no evidence for TikTok stealing data but I think there has been some, like Chinese children see different things on TikTok than U.S. children. Yeah. Now, I, I guess you could argue, maybe it's because of what they click on that influences the algorithm. But my understanding is some of the crap that's being fed on TikTok is expressly forbidden in China. So what TikTok shows to Chinese citizens is quite different than U.S. citizens. And you could picture, a, you you could picture
0: mean, a future, or right now, like the U.S. is a very strong ally of Taiwan as an example. And if China were to, which it sure as hell looks like they're trying to invade at some point, maybe they start slowly feeding they claim like Taiwan is theirs. Like anti yeah. anti Taiwan propaganda for lack of a better yeah. word in the app slowly change the mind of US citizens. So Elections like
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean we
0: there there was
1: no hacking of election machines and the US vote. But there certainly was social media bots on Facebook that was giving information polarized on both sides. They weren't even trying to influence one side specifically or the other. They were just supposed trying to have both sides see the, the most extreme, extreme thing. Yep. Uh, so very, very much so that the similar thing could happen if the you know, if the Chinese government can get by dance to do whatever they want.
0: Now at the same time, like there's nothing stopping the U.S. government from going to Twitter or Facebook or whatever and doing the same thing from a U.S. perspective. Like, the, yes, there's a court the, process, but...
1: That, that's, the, that's the only thing, and that's, like, like, that's my argument. Technically, we have the same data, so we're kind of throwing stones. But I think the difference is really that we're supposed to be a democratic government. We're supposed to have checks and balances. We're supposed to have judges. So it's not just one person saying, do this or die. It's you have to get past all the, the democratic checks and balances we're supposed to have. Now, are there loopholes? I gosh, I hope not. But yeah, I, I do think there is a difference in the government, but there's no difference in the technology and what the tech company is actually doing, in my opinion.
0: And when you look at like the Chinese government as an example, like they like you mentioned, they have a rule that basically allows them full access to any data at any time. They can come in and say, give us that or else. Uh, and then there's also, like, China has a very publicly advertised, like, basically espionage and intellectual property theft at all costs for bettering China policy. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're wide open about it that, you know, our citizens can go steal whatever they want in the name of bettering China. And a platform right. with all of this user data is a great opportunity for data, as an example. I think
1: everyone knows that, uh, you know, Huawei had Cisco. I, I mean, it literally had... Cisco same, commands. Cisco com, Not just commands, like the same messages back mm-hmm. when you typed a command. Uh, me and Mark, you can find it on YouTube, Made in Beijing, the plan for global market dominance, where China basically said, here's the 20 things that we're going to do technologically and go steal all this information from. And so that Made in Beijing is all about how insiders Really, a long game would go to university in the U.S., get a job in the U.S. Meanwhile, they're gathering all kinds of intellectual property to bring back, and they they've caught a number of folks doing that. So, yep. it it is relatively well known.
0: Now, this yeah this well, has been going on for years now. Yeah, yeah. Like these concerns, and ByteDance, Dance, the owner of TikTok, has done some things to try and like soothe. Texas, what, what do they feathers. call it?
1: Uh, Weren't they supposed to create a Texas data center for TikTok?
0: So they ended up uh, all, as of I think last June, all U.S. user data uh, stays in the United States in uh, cloud operations hosted by Oracle.
1: Yeah, and,
0: and I think Oracle Texas. even has access to the algorithm. Oracle or some third party has access to the algorithm to theoretically vet it. So the data is supposed to stay in the United States at this point, but like since last June, there's still that been- That s- was called
1: Project Texas, yep. by the way.
0: There have still been several reports since then of employees based in China accessing U.S. users' data, uh, and sometimes in ways that really does not seem appropriate. So,
1: the, Yeah, and let's get into some of the not-appropriate. That is a hard part, though, because I, I think even as a legitimate company, we totally tenant our data in different regions. Yep. For GDPR, for the privacy of our European countries, we have to put it there. But we do have analysts all over the world. Like, if you're thinking about MDR as a service, having our threat hunters find something, you know, not every analyst, in in fact, you, you may not have enough to support them, are all in Europe. So I guess it's not overly unusual to tenant data one place, but have a foreign act, you know, someone in a different country that's part of the company. Check data. My argument, but then be, you need to have some sort of checks and balances on what you know. You need to be logging and auditing that, and have role-based access control. Well,
0: my argument is that ByteDance is rolling in cash right now. Yeah, from if you're TikTok. big enough, you could probably. And hire they employees. could absolutely have just yeah. a U.S.-based firm handling U.S.-based development and data management. But anyways, the story kind of starts in like June of last year, right after they made this change to all U.S. data in the U.S. Uh, where BuzzFeed reported uh, some with some leaked audio files from various TikTok meetings that indicated that engineers in China uh, had accessed US data between September 2021 and January of 2022. And this is despite public statements from TikTok Same executives uh, in October 2021, uh, that, quote, they had a world-renowned US-based cybersecurity team deciding who gets all access to this data. Now, that was the first... I guess that's not
1: a... Maybe the U.S. people's allowed the Chinese. So I guess that's not technically a a lie. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't outright say, our Chinese employees have never accessed your data. They just said there's a US team that decides.
0: Well, after Buzzfeed uh, reported on this, as well as a few other journalistic outlets, in December of 2022, it turns out TikTok confirmed that employees had accessed specific user data of two of the journalists involved with this to try and, they were trying to hunt down the leaks effectively. So they started monitoring the journalists that were there reporting on it. There was a reason it. I used journalists for the example a yeah. while back. Yeah. So that is where it's crossing into what I would consider abusive yeah, data access abusive. at that point. And that's not the end of it. So just this month, uh, there was a former head of engineering at ByteDance's U.S. operations that alleged that the Chinese Communist Party, quote, maintained supreme access to hmm. all data held by TikTok, including data stored by the U.S., now, this is a a employee that was so, fired, so, so, so potentially disgruntled. We, yeah. You have to take it with a grain of salt. But like, these are pretty serious
1: allegations. too. It, it checks out to what China I mean. They have a great they're known for censoring information for their own people. So I, I you know, like you say, it's an
0: allegation.
1: But uh, you claim that it seems possible, even
0: though they were they were, in fact, limiting individual engineers in the data they could access. The government themselves, themselves continue to have full access, yep. which is very on brand, like you just said, for China. Yeah. So it wouldn't be surprising if that does prove to be true. So, I mean, what do you think? Like Montana straight up blocked the or kind of blocked the app. They blocked downloading the app. They didn't do anything else to prevent access to it. I think
1: it's Pand- I, I, Pandora's box has already been open. I don't. I honestly don't think you can block U.S. users. There's like you said, 1.4 billion or whatever you mm-hmm. said. There's uh, millions and millions, tens of millions of U.S. users that like the app. I think it's like Pandora's box, you won't be able to close it. Private VPNs are now something that moms do. I mean, they're advertised on every YouTube video I've ever seen and on TV. People know how to watch Netflix in the UK now because of it. So I I just, I I think it's more up to us as people in the society to know this risk. I don't think you'll be able to block the app. Even if the federal government decided they wanted to block the app, I don't. And I don't think it would really work.
0: Blocking the app on the Google and Apple app stores, doesn't, it doesn't like it. Actually, it opens up other security concerns because, like you just said, like users are still going to want to
1: yeah. get
0: TikTok, and so now they're going to go Google TikTok download. If they were
1: smart, they should at least VPN to Europe and get Correct. it from an official store, but if they google it what would they find they'll end
0: up on some shady website yeah. with instructions on how to sideload free it free sideloading and by the way it's trojanized yeah like we've it's seen like this like in the Angry past Birds. What was it? it's Super Mario Run that Nintendo yeah. game that came out that was kind of time gated across the world I think it came out in Japan first and if you but wanted you to get it in get the it US, early. you had to sideload it. And we found tons of examples of it just laced with malware. Android piracy,
1: if you know, I, I Angry Birds one was one of the first apps I saw trojanized because everyone liked the game. Like, Come and on, Angry Birds was like 99 cents, right? Yeah. That's something you should just pay for. But anyways, people downloading free pirated apps often get trojanized
0: crap. In and it it's looking like the Apple ecosystem might actually be opening up sometime in the next few years too. They're being forced to, right? Yeah, Yeah. so like it suddenly becomes a risk for Apple users as well too with side-loaded apps. Now that said, Apple does a pretty dang good job about at least requiring apps to be signed. They've messed up though. I mean, even though they're closed infrastructure, they've sometimes
1: let a bad app sneak into the official store. But to your point, if they're forced into allowing anybody to be able to load any app onto their Apple device because they own it, it does become you, the users, you know, Liability to figure out if what you're loading isn't being manipulated already.
0: So here's my hot take: I I bet you by this time next year, May 2024, TikTok will be banned in the United States for all users.
1: Here, I don't think it will work. I don't think it happened. Here's my hot take: Get everyone in Congress to start using. You don't want U.S. citizens to use TikTok because it's dangerous get old white men to use it. All the kids will flee that it's no longer cool. This is the suckiest boringest place in the world. Let's go find the next cool social media app. And some smart person needs to make a social media app in a non authoritarian country and then we'll be fine.
0: I think actually I'm going to revise my statement. <laughs> it's either going to be banned or they're going to be forced to sell off the US Operations of it to some company within the United States. Do you think they could? I, 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 I,
1: that I actually would like to see happen, but I know the Chinese government doesn't, wouldn't want ByteDance to sell. I, so so my sure.
0: thought process is they don't want to, but if the options are you are banned or you at least make some money in a sale. Do you think China thinks banning would really work? Like,
1: what, How is the U.S. going to ban it?
0: Banning the download, are, are they know. going to
1: put the great firewall of the U.S. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> U.S. Crap. citizens we will know how to, to p- get TikTok. Yeah. It's an, and it goes, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing for TikTok. I, even though I'm comparing them to Facebook and saying that's bad too, my bigger issue is the government behind it. So I get it. I get why you want to ban it and why it's dangerous. It's just not going to work in a free and open society. I don't like, think
0: that's going to stop them from trying, though. That definitely seems uh, to be where the the headwinds are going these days. Like, and it's mostly at this point, like you said, just geopolitical. Like, U.S. and China are not very good friends currently. No. And crap, they just banned what is it, micron processors in China for security concerns. It feels like we're getting it's just kind of like tick for tat kind of thing. And yeah. Like I don't know. I I stand we'll by see. that. It will. N- either not be, or it'll be banned or, or sold US off 3. by this time next year. Uh, if I'm wrong, I will buy you a beer. In
1: three years, TikTok won't be cool anymore. The young kids will have moved on to something else.
0: That's a very good point, too. Uh, who, maybe what's next, Blue Sky? I hear that's all <laughs> the rage these days. I don't even know. If I knew, that would be the place the kids wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for the, uh, the the boomers and Gen Z to ruin TikTok and then problem solved. <laughs> hey, Gen Z's cool. Don't put don't basket me with boomers, <laughs> even though they're my loving parents who are awesome. <laughs> Anyways, well, as of now, if you're in Montana, no TikTok for you, but everywhere else, your days may be numbered on At least for a year. Yeah.
1: Or if you're on Montana,
0: look up a VPN. You can come from anywhere in the world. Can we ban Twitter next? <laughs> yes, please. Mastodon needs to get better. I, I'm still waiting for my blue sky invite. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you think we should just permanently replace Corey with ChatGPT, reach out to us on Twitter. Let's work. I'm at, you, what work? I, oh, whatever. <laughs> I'm at XORRO underscore Corey is at Sec Adept, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.